you turn your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 15? Please. Hallelujah. I, I put a quote on Facebook the other day. I do that from time to time. And I said, I prayed for an orchard and God gave me a seed. You know, Genesis 8.22 says, as long as the earth remains, summer, winter, cold, and heat, day and night, seed time, harvest time shall not cease. Matter of fact, if you read Genesis chapter 2, you find out that what all the plants that he, it was all in seed form until, until Adam came on the scene because he said he had no one to till the ground. So if you had looked at the planet, you wouldn't have seen all that you see now. You'd have seen nothing. Dirt. And he, he wouldn't even let it rain on the earth until all those things, until Adam was there. Anyway, we can debate that if you want to. I can prove I'm right, and that's okay, or you can just. <laughs> but the thing is, everything begins that way. It's, it's like, um, it's kind of like, like I was believing God for a healing. No, what I was really believing God for was a miracle. Because miracles happen instantaneously. But health and healing, um, you get to participate. And the reason why you get to participate is so that you can f have that sense of accomplishment when you get it done. So you can feel good about being you, right? And, and so that's, that's what started. In, and I tell you right now, I, I don't know if you've noticed, but over the past few months, I've been getting stronger and better and all that. And last Friday, I went and bought a Harley, and it's faster than James Cann's Harley. <laughs> No, no, but when I staggered into the guy's garage to buy it, he said to me afterwards, he said, I can't even believe you're buying a bike. No, no, but he didn't see me a month ago. And he didn't see me next month. Yeah. Hallelujah. No, but you always have to push. I mean, let's just push all the time, push. You know, when it comes to health, you know, you know um, if you need to lose some weight, go ahead, you'll feel good about it. You know, if, if your blood, you know, like there's things that you can do and you don't have to do it on your own. No, the Holy Ghost will come and work with you and work on you. And ah, <laughs> I don't tell you good to see you. <laughs> Snuck up on me just like that. <laughs> but if you could go in your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 15 for a moment. We're going to chapter 17, but we need to start in 15. Wow. It's nice to see a full house here today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. That's what we see. They're coming. Two services on a Sunday morning. Why not? By the way, Unstoppable Love, can we do that at the end too? No, but if you would just... It, don't just sing it. Listen. Listen to the words. And if it doesn't start your fire, your wood's wet. No, if it doesn't grab your heart, like I'm sitting over there snotting and blowing, I'm thinking, no, no, I can't be doing that right now. Yeah, you can do that any old time you want to. It's good to have a leak. <laughs> we'll let that alone. Okay. Chapters 15 and verse 16. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. Mm -hmm. uh, and your word was unto me, joy and rejoicing in my heart. Uh, 
for I am called by the name of the Lord God of hosts. So when I read that, I'm thinking joy is a characteristic of a secure person in God, right? No, when you think about it, you know, Romans 14, 17 tells you exactly what the kingdom of God is. It's righteousness, knowing you're right even when you're wrong, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness in the Holy Ghost, peace in the Holy Ghost, joy in the Holy Ghost. And if you're not experiencing those things, then I would like to say you're probably not in the Holy Ghost. You could be off in the flesh somewhere. And uh, we all have a chance to go there. Paul the Apostle said, I die daily. You know why he said that? Because he had to die every day to his flesh. Because he wanted to do things that probably wouldn't line up with the Word of God. I'm not talking about sin, singular. I'm talking about... um, Well, let's read. Let's just read on. We'll let that go for right now. Okay. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, because when I get in fear, I take my life out of his hands. But when I'm in faith, I put my life in his hands. I'm trusting him all the time. But I want to go to Jeremiah 17 is where I really wanted to go. Because my first uh, motorcycle trip through the desert, I saw a couple things I'd never seen before. I saw a rabbit that looked like Bugs Bunny. Oh, I love the little rabbit in red. He ran across the road in front of me. For those of you that don't know Bugs Bunny, I'll tell you about it later. And then the next thing that I saw was a tumbleweed coming towards my bike. And when it hit my bike, I didn't know what to expect. When it hit my bike, it hit the spokes and totally disintegrated. Just poof, just like that. So then later on, I saw bigger ones, a whole bunch of them attached together and rolling around the desert. But they were as dry as they could be. And so they could, you could run right into them and they wouldn't hurt you at all. And I thought about church. And I thought about so many tumbleweeds that get hooked up with other tumbleweeds that don't never put roots down anywhere. And, and they're just traveling from one church to another church, from one place to another place, and never getting rooted. And Psalm number one, the reason why it's Psalm one, the rabbis will tell you, is because it's the most important key to life. You don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, stand the way of the sinner, sit in the seat of the scornful, but your delight, your delight is in the word of God. And in that word, you meditate day and night. You're like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Bring it forth your fruit in its season. Your leaf won't wither. And whatever you do, whatever you do is going to prosper for you when you do it God's way. I mean, Eve tried to do it her own way. I mean, you know, Eve was the first woman that showed up with pride. You know, she listened to the guy, and then she thought, well, yeah, I don't need to submit my life to God. I'll just do things my way. That's the, that's the world today that we're living in. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Yeah, you need somebody to tell you what to do. What if I don't like it? You probably won't. But it'll be good for you because it's called humility. Anyway, chapter 17 of Jeremiah. Um, We'll pick it up in verse 5. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusts a man and makes flesh his arm and departs from the Lord God. Well, these guys had just hooked up You know, the Jews had hooked up with Egypt, thinking that Egypt was going to save them from their troubles. But Pharaoh got defeated at the Battle of Carchemish, and so so now they had nobody. They did have somebody, but somebody they didn't want that somebody. But look at verse six: "For he shall be like a heath," it says in the in the King James. 
He'll be like a heath in the desert. He'll be like a tumbleweed. He'll not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, a salt land uninhabited. But wait, but here's, here's the happy part. Blessed is a man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Hope is that, it's that state of security. Hallelujah. He said, he'll be like the tree planted by the waters. He'll spread forth his roots by the river and won't even know. When, won't even notice when the heat is on. Huh? Don't even know it's hot. In the furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had a promise, you'll walk through the fire and you'll not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon you from Isaiah 41. They meditated that and they said, go ahead, throw us in. Because they knew there was a fourth man going to show up in the fire. Hallelujah. They came out and they, couldn't, they didn't even smell like smoke. You can go through things by faith and not even smell like smoke. You can come out on the other side. You know, lots of times people talk about evangelism. I was talking to a friend the other day and I said, you know, we've been really uh, focused on the church and not evangelism. You know, and, and um, you know, some of those things have to shift a little bit. But the most important thing to God, you think the most important thing to God is evangelism? But it's not. The most important thing to God is John 8, 31, 32. If you'll continue in my word, you'll be my disciples indeed. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You know, he, he said the Holy Ghost would come, what? And guide you into all truth. It's the truth. that, And, and even when you think about this end time move of the Spirit of God, you think it's going to be gold dust appearing on your clothes and these things and the other things and miracles and signs and wonders. My Bible says that the devil's going to do that too. The only thing that's going to take you through all of this is the truth. You've got to know the truth so that when God begins to pour out his spirit in, in ways that are signs and wonders, you can always come back to the word. It's the word and the spirit. You've got to have both. You can't have one or the other. You've got to have both, okay? All right. He's like a tree planted by the water, spreading forth his roots by the river and shall not even see when the heat comes. But his leaf shall be green. Doesn't matter what the economy is. You know, people are praying over Canada right now. And I said, well, you were living in a nation where they celebrate homosexuality and kill babies in the womb. But yet you want the blessing. Of, you know, you complain about the gas prices. It's not until you get right with God. You know, God's. It's not that God is doing these things, it's God lifts his hand off it. Say, hey, you want to do things your way? Have it. I won't stop you. Amen. But if we get back to doing things his way, and I'm not talking about judging and criticizing people. I'm talking about loving everybody. Loving them where they are. But if you get a chance to share the truth with them... (laughs) It's, no, but even that, you can't beat somebody with a club and say, that's what the Word of God says. No, no, you've got to love them. You've got to love them enough so that they can trust you to speak into their lives. You know, we talk about one thing or another thing. I was a drug addict. Nobody could help me. And I was the most selfish person on the planet. All I cared about was, did I have enough money for drugs? Did I have enough money for booze? Never thought about anything but myself. And, and how many of you know that that's just pride, right? Okay, her leaf won't, no, 
her leaf shall be green. She'll not be careful in the day of drought, neither shall she cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all, and desperately wicked who can know it. The Lord searches hearts and tries the reins, and gives to every man according to his ways, and according to the fruit of his doings. I just want to zero in on verse 13 for a minute, because, you know, when Jesus was uh, in, um, in John chapter 8, he was ministering to a woman that had been caught in adultery. And he didn't respond to the people. He sat down and wrote his fingers with his finger in the dirt. And they all left from the eldest to the youngest. This verse tells you why they left. It says, verse 13, Lord, the hope of Israel and all that forsake you shall be ashamed. And they shall depart, they, they, they that shall depart from me shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the, the foundation of living waters. You see that? So when he sat down, he began to write their names down in the earth, and they knew, they knew what this because they they didn't have a New Testament. They knew exactly what he was doing, and so they quietly walked quietly walked away. <laughs> Amen. So let's go to let's go to Genesis chapter three just for a second. Yeah, I just want to touch base here. Don't like Royce Harris, just touch base. Now the serpent was subtle, verse 1, more than any beast of the field and when he, that the Lord had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, has God said that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. We can, we can eat freely from the fruit of the garden, but the fruit of the tree of the, in the midst of the garden, we can't eat, neither can we touch. And the serpent said unto him, just like he says unto you. You know, God doesn't really mean what he says. You, you won't surely die. You know, it's kind of like we read our Bible and we have selective verses. You know, lots of times people don't believe Hebrews 10.25. You're not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together, but even more so is the income. But I, I don't think I'll do that. Well, you can think you're not going to do that, but that is total pride. That's total rebellion. And, and so, but then we want, see, because what you know you're responsible for. And so you really need to help yourself out. <laughs> so, but, but again, I don't think she grasped the love of God. I don't she, think she grasped the unstoppable love that was available to her. And so we're going to do better than that, aren't we? Let's go to Daniel chapter 5. I can't stay there. No, I find if it's boring to me, I have to move on. <laughs> chapter 5 is one of the funny stories in the Bible, as far as I'm concerned. Belshazzar the king, he's the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, had a feast for a thousand people, and they drank wine before the thousand. And while he tasted the wine, he commanded that they bring the gold and the silver vessels that his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem. And the king and his princes and his wives and his concubines, they drank therein. So they brought in the golden vessels and they were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was in Jerusalem. And the king and the princes and his wives 
They all, they all drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and brass and iron and wood and stone, just like any bar downtown right now. In the same hour, I can read the writing on the wall. In the same hour came forth the fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall in the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's con- I, I got to read this out of the Passion Translation. No, not the Passion, but uh, the CIB. If I can find it here. Yeah, verse 6. His face turned pale. His thoughts terrified him, and he soiled himself, and his knees knocked together. <laughs> he was, the, you know, the big shot, the big king. The big, he, was the, he was the ruler of the earth at that time. As a matter of fact, what he didn't know at that moment was that God had spoken to Cyrus and Darius. And in Isaiah 44, the last couple of verses, and in, in chapter 45 of Isaiah, God said, um, I'm going to show you how to defeat Babylon. Uh, you're going to dry up the rivers, and you're going to go in under the moat. And he said, I'll open up before you the two-leaf gates. The gates will not be shut. And, and he even said, he said, Cyrus, I called you by name before you knew me. Isaiah wrote about him 200 years before he was born. Yeah, but it says that his face turned pale, his thoughts terrified him, and he sold himself. And his knees knocked together. And I love that because I, I think about the world leaders today. I don't care if you're Vladimir Putin or who you are. God shows up in your house. Yeah. You're going to find out you're not God after all. <laughs> Humility will come quick. <laughs> Amen. The king cried aloud, called the astrologers and all that. And uh, he was looking for somebody to interpret what was written on the wall. Verse 9, King Belshazzar was terrified and his face turned pale and his nobles were bewildered. How many of you know that's a bad day, right? And so then he finds out about, you know, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's wife, the grandmother of Belshazzar, talked to him and said, you know, there's a guy in the kingdom that interprets dreams, right? And uh, he, he interpreted my husband's dreams and he can help you too. So, so um, verse 12, it says he had an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting dreams, hard sentences, dissolving dotes. They were found in Daniel. And then Daniel, verse 13, was brought before the king. And verse 15, the, the wise men and the astrologers, they, they were brought before him to interpret the dream, but they couldn't do it. And, and so then he's going to give it to Daniel. And he said, Daniel... If if you'll interpret the dream, I'll give you, you know, what does he say here? He said, you shall be clothed in scarlet, have a chain of gold around your neck, and you'll be the third, third ruler of the kingdom. I love Daniel's response. Let your gifts be to yourself. Give your rewards to another. <laughs> but I'll read the writing for you. And so then he begins to talk about Nebuchadnezzar, and I like this because you can read about this back in Daniel chapter 2. O king, 
Now remember, Nebuchadnezzar was the guy that built the 90-foot statue and said, worship me. <laughs> I mean, if you know, he might have had an ego problem. <laughs> Every time you hear the trumpets, I want you to fall down and worship me. Hallelujah. <laughs> o thou king, the most high, gave ne the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your grandfather, the kingdom, majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all the people in all nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would kill, he would kill, and whom he kept alive, he would keep alive. Who he set up was set up, and who he put down was put down. But, but, in verse 20, but when his heart was lifted up and his mind was hardened with pride, this is what happens. See, when your mind gets hardened with pride, you can't even see how stupid you're being. You, you know, you don't realize, hey, I've, I'm, I'm governing my own life now. Nobody's going to tell me anything, right? Well, okay. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind was hardened with pride, when his attitude and his actions were all focused on himself, when his attitude and his actions were all focused on himself, and, and that's really when, when I think about those, when I think about pride, I'm thinking about, it's like I put on, you know, God said this to me yesterday. I, I, he said, if you think you're humble, you're not. Right? So, so how do I know when I'm humble? When you don't think about it. When you just have, you know, you esteem others higher than yourself. That doesn't mean you put yourself down. Again, you never put yourself down. You're so individual as your fingerprint. You're so individual as your retina. You're so individual as your DNA. Like God made you unique. And so he's not saying to, to put yourself down. He's saying, no, no, focus on others, and I'll show you how to be happy. Even when he said, if, if you're going to follow me, deny yourself. Pick up the cross and follow me. What we don't realize is what he's saying is, you want to walk in victory? I said, I had to walk in victory. Forget about yourself and follow me. Follow me. He was talking about becoming a champion, not becoming a victim. Oh, pick up the cross. No, no. You go, that, that, that's Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. When a son of God comes, will he find faith on the earth? He's telling you what he's coming looking for in the last day. He's not coming seeing how many souls you won or any of those kind of things. None of those things are bad, but he's looking for, do you trust me? Do you believe me? Will, will I find faith in the earth? So he, but when his heart was lifted up, talking about Nebuchadnezzar, and filled with pride, he was deposed from the king's throne, and they took his glory from him, and he was driven from the sons of men. You really need to go back and read this sometime. And he lived in the beasts of the field and the wild asses. They fed him with grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew because he didn't have a place to sleep. <laughs> until the Most High God ruled it, it says, until he realized, until he See, you can struggle with all kinds of things until you realize. Until you realize. Hallelujah. That the Most High God rules the kingdom of men. Now we know that, you know, we say thy kingdom come, thy will be done. 
you know, a kingdom has a king. And the king has rules, and they're to be followed. You know, I just can't do my own thing. So it says he was, so until, the, until he recognized that the Most High God ruled the kingdom of men, it was appointed over him whosoever he will. But verse, thir- verse 22 is what I want you to see. And you, his son, O Belchazar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew these things. See, so, so what does that mean? It means what you know in the word of God, you're responsible for. What you know, you're responsible to do. And it's not about a religious thing. It's, it's about, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. I'm not, I'm not trying to do it on my own. Hallelujah. So uh, let's read a little further. Yeah. Verse 23, but you lifted yourself up against the Lord God of heaven. Verse 24, then was a part of a hand sent from him. And his writing was written, and he wrote, Many, many take you first. And the interpretation of the thing is, is um, God has come, numbered your kingdom and finished it. You are weighed in the balances and found wanting. Justin Trudeau. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. They commanded Belshazzar, and clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain and all of that stuff on him. But what they didn't, but again, what they didn't know was that same night, Cyrus and Darius had already, like if you look at the way Babylon was, it was surrounded by the Euphrates River and they had ferries going back and forth. And it was like an island. And what they did was because, because they read it in Isaiah 44, they dammed up the river and walked in under the moat, under the wall rather, through the moat. And that very night, while these guys were partying and thinking it was Yahoo, it was all over. So he, he could give Daniel everything he wanted, but it wasn't going to matter to Daniel because he knew the kingdom was falling at that moment anyway. So, I mean, so that's Isaiah 44, 24, and Isaiah 45. Yeah, you'll be the third ruler of the kingdom, he said. In, in verse 30, he said, in that night was Belshazzar the king of the, the Chaldeans slain. This Medo-Persian empire was un, undefeatable, impregnable. And they were so filled with pride that down they went. Okay, let's go to Matthew chapter 11. I think Pastor Paul was over here um, on Thursday night a little bit. It was a great message Thursday night, Pastor Paul. Oh, bless me. Reset me. How many of you know it's good to get reset? And the cool thing about being a Christian is you can reset yourself anytime. And when you say, hey, I'm going to start fresh today. I'm going to start right now. Hallelujah. Right now I'm going to do it God's way. Not just when it's easy. <laughs> when it's easy. <laughs> Hallelujah. I just realized I'm reading without my glasses again. Glory to God. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Verse um, 28. Come on to me when you get it all together. Come to me when you get it all figured out. 
see, come, learning is the secret. He said, I want you to come and learn about me because I'm humble. And I need to teach you humility because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. James chapter 4 is such a good indication of all of that. He said, submit yourself unto God and resist the devil and he'll flee from you. What he's saying is, submit yourself to humility and that pride will leave you. Right? It's kind of like I was talking to my, my physiotherapist pounds me every week. And Thursday she pounded me for an hour, but I preached the, the gospel from the time she started till the time she was done. And as I was leaving, she was saying, I just want to thank you for our conversation. Um, but what was I going to say she pounded me about? No, no, you know, lots of times I was sitting down over there because I couldn't stand up. Today I was sitting down over there because she, she beat me up so bad. <laughs> anyway, I don't know where I was going with that, but it doesn't matter. Come and learn to me. That's the secret. I'm humble. I want to teach you about it. When spiritual anxiety comes over you, when something of, the, of your past comes up that brought lasting results, he said, if you come on to me when those things are on you, I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. He said, I'm meek. And meek is not weakness. Meek, one, one, the best definitions for meek, one of the best def definitions I heard, was to stand in the middle between two extremes. And really, when you think about pride and humility, it's like, God, how does that, how does that work? If I, if I feel like I'm getting humble, then I know I'm not. <laughs> and so the only conclusion I could come up with is my prayer life. My prayer life when it's a, it should be praise and worship and praying for you. If I'm really believing Ephesians 1, 3, that everything's already been given to me, then I don't have to bring any requests to him. I don't have to pray for my healing because I've already been healed. What I have to do is God say, God, you know, you said you'd lead me into all the truth. Show me how to walk this out. Show me what to do next. And show me have the, how to have the patience not to overdo it. Like Nancy and I went to the gym on Friday morning early and the power went out, but we had to work real hard to get it done. And my muscle memory was there and I worked out way too hard for what I'm supposed to. But it's because you don't. It's like, yeah. you know. <laughs> huh? Yeah, but it, the interpretation is yesterday it was like, uh. <laughs> verse 29, take my yoke upon you. What it takes to learn, discipline. But the discipline that you learn is far cheaper than what you're carrying. It's like I said to a friend the other day, I said, the pain of change has got to be less than the pain of staying where you are. If the pain of staying where you are doesn't trouble you enough to make you change, then it's not strong enough yet. But I know God well enough to know he'll leave you there. You, you know, you think, well, God's doing that. No, no, you, you, you can't blame God for anything you led yourself into. I can't blame God for my health. I was so stupid regarding health over a number of years. I was thinking today, it was back in 2015, I was at a motorcycle show. Ken, you were there, and uh, Dan, Eddie, and them, and they had to take me to the hospital. My blood pressure was 190 over something crazy. And so then they let me out, and I went home. 
Didn't do anything about it then either. <laughs> you know, after a while, those things, you, you can't ignore the voice of God because if you do, it's all, the Bible says your conscience gets seared. Like when you sear a steak to keep the juice in, the problem with the conscience when it's seared is God can't get in. And God's saying, hey, God will let you die. He won't override your will. If if he could override your will, he wouldn't, he wouldn't, you know, he, he already had angels that do his bidding. He wanted you to serve him and love him because of choices. And I pray that you'll make better ones than I have over the years. So, okay, verse 29, is that where we went? Yeah. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And here's another thing. Nothing happens on its own. (laughs) Everything remains in a state of rest until it's acted upon. Until you, you say, oh, God, please help me, please help me, please help me. Until you get up and move. Faith without corresponding action doesn't produce anything. You got to get up and push. Doors of opportunity are marked push. You got to push on these things. Amen. So he's saying, are you tired, worn out, burned out by religion? (laughs) Get away with me. Really, that's what Pastor Paul was talking about Thursday. You'll recover your life. You'll have real rest. You'll walk with and work with me. And, and, and again, Hebrews 4.11, you'll labor to enter in to that rest. I'm meek and lowly of heart. You'll find rest. And it's Apollo. It means to pause and to refresh. He said, you'll pause and I will refresh you. And then he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's like when you read Proverbs chapter 3, he's saying, you know, don't forsake my word, let my heart keep your commandments. Length of days, long life and peace are added unto you. Then the next verse, he says, don't let grace and truth forsake you. Bind it around your neck and write it on the table of your heart and you'll find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. What's he saying? He's saying, yoke up to the love, put the love and the grace of God around your neck so you got it for everybody. And really, I know this for sure, and I'm working it. I'm telling you, I'm working it. If if I truly forgive you, then I don't even know what you're talking about when you come and say, please, I'm sorry, please forgive me. What are you talking about? That's the way God does it. So, no, but if you totally do that, you don't have anything against anybody. And that's freedom. That's real freedom. Somebody's name comes up? No, no problem. They never ever did anything to me. Hallelujah. No, never did anything to me. No, I don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. No one's hurt me at all. Amen. And we can live that. If we couldn't, he wouldn't have told us to. To stand in the middle between two extremes, grace and truth. That's meekness. Grace and truth. The two wings of the plane. You can't have grace without truth, you'll crash. You can't have truth without grace, you'll crash. But when you put the two of them together, you get a good flight. Yeah. Amen. Let's go to Corinthians chapter 13. I mean, you can't talk love without... I found this book. How many of you ever read this book? The Greatest Thing in the World. Written by Henry Drummond in 1864. And you read that this little book and it'll slap you on every page. 
and tell you what humility is and how to love. And anyway, let's uh, read. So let's read um, Corinthians thirteen out of the Passion Translation. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. Love refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame or disrespect, nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joy, joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for, look at this, never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as a defeat, for it never gives up. You never give up. How many of you watched the Super Bowl last week? There was a guy in the Super Bowl, his name is Cooper Cup, and he was the MVP of the game. And in 2019, they were also in the Super Bowl, but they lost 13-3 to to the New England Patriots. Anyway, in 2019, when it was over, God spoke to him and gave him a vision and said, you're going back to the Super Bowl, you're going to win, and you're going to be the MVP. Well, he couldn't tell anybody but his wife. But, but then he got a chance to share it in front of 101 million viewers that day. Because he said, you know, but this is what he said. And I said, wow, as Christians, we could just learn this. He said, he said, I wasn't playing for victory. I was playing from victory. And he said, I went out and really just enjoy, enjoyed the playoffs because I wasn't trying to do anything. I was just out there playing the game, knowing the outcome had already been settled. Isn't that wild? And so he did that, went through the whole thing, and of course, you know, brought his little daughter up and shared that testimony in front of 101 million viewers. I thought, dear Lord, if, if, we, if we could just realize that just like him, he said the end had already been established. And so is yours. No, but if you, if you get that, you can really enjoy the game. It might be, I mean, in Cooper Cup, the thing that was so impressive about that game was Odell Beckham Jr., the other the guy on the other side of the line, he got injured and taken out in the first half. Their tight end was gone, so Cooper Cup was the only guy that could do anything, and they had him double covered for the whole game. And yet somehow, with a minute and 30 seconds left in the fourth quarter, he gets open in the end zone and catches the ball. And, and effortlessly. And when I saw that, I said, this is what we need to know this as Christians. It don't matter what it looks like at halftime. You might be trailing at halftime. Have a great second half. It doesn't matter. No, but it doesn't matter what's going on in your life right now. If you really believe God, if you really believe Jeremiah 29, 11, a hope and a future and a great finish, if you really believe that, hallelujah, if you can just get a hold of that, they, he said, I'll never leave you, never fail you, never forsake you. If you only knew that the game was already won. How many of you know, if you read the book of Revelation, the first three chapters are about the church, and after that, the church is gone. If you only knew, if you only knew that the victory is yours, if you only knew, don't you know? Yeah. 
please tell me that you know. So you can enjoy your day. You can enjoy your life. What if you get tackled? Well, you will. But you can get up and dust off because at the end of the game, you're in the end zone going. Super Bowl MVP. Hallelujah. Yeah, reminded me of a story I read about a guy. He was a missionary over in Africa for a bunch of years. And it was back before people traveled by plane. And so he spent a couple of weeks on a ship coming home to New York. And when he got home to New York, of course, the ship was full of people. And when they were getting off, there was people hugging him and hugging them, the, the other passengers and everything. And so glad to see him holding up signs. And when he got there, no one came to greet him. It was just like, and he was saying, God, I've been over there serving you and there's no one here. He said, son, you're not home yet. <laughs> there will be a celebration. There will be a celebration. It'll last seven years. Yeah. Hallelujah. We'll Praise the Lord. And then we'll be back. We're not riding Harleys then, we're riding some kind of horse, but I just hope it's got some horsepower. <laughs> we hope this message has encouraged you in your relationship with the Lord. For more information and ministry resources, we invite you to visit our website at www.newcovenantchurch.ca. We look forward to you joining us next time as we continue to live victoriously.